It's good to be back with you. Uh, of course, uh, we were uh, gone last week uh, up in uh, Michigan visiting family for the, the holiday vacation, and, and it was a good trip, and we're glad uh, to be back with you, and, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll kick off here the, the year 2022 uh, for a good year. Let's continue to pray for this congregation here that we grow stronger spiritually and numerically, and again, we just... I want to keep uh, those things in our prayers. But again, our, our recent trip to Michigan last week, uh, you know, it, it rained. Basically, what it's doing today from uh, our time that we left here, Kentucky, all the way up through into uh, Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. But around Indianapolis, uh, the, the rain turned to snow. And, for, and so for that drive between Indianapolis and to Fort Wayne and up to the Michigan border, that should have taken maybe an hour and a half to two hours. It took twice as Along because you know we had to do that white knuckle driving. You know the cars were in the ditches and it was a, a pretty uh, nerve wracking time. Uh, but th- that example is not a- as extreme as others. I know that there, this past week there have been people stranded on the, the on the uh, the highways for hours and hours upon time. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is you know if I had only known at that time what I knew uh, then, you know maybe I wouldn't have. Uh, gone at that time. Maybe I would have waited uh, a couple of hours uh, later or maybe gone earlier. You know, we ask that question a lot in life. If we only knew then what we know now, you know, maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it was a job opportunity that you took uh, or that you didn't take. And if you had only known then what you knew now, maybe it would have been different. Uh, maybe it was purchasing a home. Maybe it was a friendship, a relationship. But sometimes when we think about those moments, you know, we refer to them as those, uh, you know, our hindsight was twenty twenty, right? Now I can see perfectly. Now I can see uh, those things with, a, with good vision. And now I can, you know, sort of Monday morning quarterback through those uh, uh, scenarios. Well, here in Luke chapter 24, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, we're going to see here in the lives of the early disciples in the first century, a 2020 moment. Their hindsight uh, was 2020, uh, as was just written or was just read for us in Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56. We see, you know, Jesus has died already. He's come down off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea takes the body. He places it into a tomb. Uh, we, we read that the women uh, prepare the spices that Friday uh, night. Uh, they're going to get those things ready to properly bury the body of Jesus. Of course, Saturday is the Sabbath, so that's going to be a rest for them. They're not going to do any work. But here in chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it's Sunday morning. And notice with me as I begin reading. It says, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Again, the, the women come back Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. But why? What was the reason for that? They're coming back to finish a job that they are going that they had started. They're not coming back to see a, uh, a resurrected Jesus but they're coming to finish a job. They're coming to minister to the dead body of Jesus the Christ with those perfumes and oils. And notice in verses 4 through 10. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, 
Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the mother of, and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Right? They come to this tomb. They see that it is an empty tomb. And there's an angel there who appears to them. And he asks that question, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? Remember how he spoke to you? Remember he told you those promises that he was going to be in that tomb for three days and resurrected? You know, that probably hit them pretty good, right? At that moment, their hindsight was twenty twenty. Now they have perfect vision. Now they understand what Jesus was talking about. You know, and we read this story, you know, we read maybe the whole book of Luke as we're reading through this gospel account. And we think to ourselves, they should have known better than that, right? Jesus was telling them throughout uh, his, his ministry that uh, he was going to do that, that he was going to rise from the dead. The disciples, uh, of course, we understand they lacked faith, right? The men disciples who were with Jesus that, uh, that night that he was betrayed, remember, they scattered. They didn't want anything to, to, to do with that uh, time when Judas came and brought that uh, great uh, army of men to come and take Jesus away. But also the women, when they come to the tomb, right, they're bringing the spices and the perfumes. They're coming to anoint that body of Jesus to get it ready for a burial, But you know, this morning, we too are not too different from them. Today, even some of us, we we tend to forget the promises of God. You know, and we have the written word to constantly remind us of these things. But as we begin again the year 2022, I'm going to discuss here three promises this morning. Three promises that God has made us that, you know, sometimes we tend to forget when we go through our daily, daily lives. And the point is that we don't want to be caught off guard having one of these, you know, 2020 uh, moments uh, that we're caught off guard. So let, let, let's dive into uh, some of these and we'll notice this first one that we're going to talk about here is that God's promise of pardon to the penitent. Sometimes we forget this. Do you know someone, or maybe this could include you, who, who doubts their salvation, doubts your salvation? You know, maybe you think sometimes, am I neglecting a command within Scripture? You know, am I going to be all right on that day of judgment? Turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 to begin. When Paul was near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul and we, can, we know that while he's writing 2 Timothy, he knows that it's going to be soon. Uh, he pens this letter to the young preacher Timothy. But, but notice some of these uh, things that he says throughout this letter to Timothy. Starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 12, notice he says, uh, For this reason, I also suffer these things. He just got done, done uh, speaking to, to uh, Timothy about you know, how hard it's going to be uh, to do the work that he's doing and that there's going to be some suffering along the way. But again, in verse 12, he says, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. You, you get kind of the sense that Paul's talking right there. He says, I know Uh, that I have salvation. I am convinced that the promises of God are going to come to fruition. 
Turn to chapter 4 in the same letter. As he concludes this letter in chapter 4, starting in verse 6, he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Again, did you see that confidence there in Paul? He, 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 he's not saying, boy, I sure hope I get to go to heaven. But he says there uh, again, uh, look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. See, Paul is confident in his salvation. What confidence Paul had in the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And this is the confidence that we should have this morning as well as his children, just like Paul. Because he has promised to forgive those who are penitent. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 10, that there are basically two different types of sorrowful people in this world. He says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God, this produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You know what the sorrow of the world is? That's when I say sorry because, you know, I don't want to get in trouble anymore. I want the situation to go away. I'm not truly repentant. You know, I I just want to uh, not have that situation around anymore. That's the sorrow of the world. Paul says that we need to have a godly sorrow, a godly sorrow that pricks our heart, that, that leads to salvation. But so, so where is this insecurity in some? Where is this doubt born from some? You know, we sing hymns like Blessed Assurance and It Is Well With My Soul. And when we sing those songs, when we read those lyrics, do we truly believe those words? You know, can we say to someone that I know that I am saved? Or do we say, I think I'm saved? Or I hope I'm saved? Or I, I just really don't know until Jesus comes. You know, some fear... Every time they commit a sin, that they're lost, right? They, they live a life where at one, at one second they're in Christ and another, another moment they're out of Christ, right? That they've committed a sin and now they're outside of Christ and so they need to go to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness. And until then, then they're back in Christ. But we're going to see in the passage here in a moment, First John, that that's just not the case. You know, some fear that they can never live up to God's expectations, You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, on the Sermon on the Mount, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? Maybe you've read that for the first time and you've thought, wow, how can I live up to such great standards to be perfect? Well, that word perfect, if we dive into it a little bit more, it does not mean sinless. Right? Jesus isn't saying that you are to be sinless as the the heavenly Father is sinless. He's saying you are to be perfect. You are to be complete and mature, ever growing uh, to become better and better. Some fear the sins they've committed in the past, right? Maybe it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Something that you have done that you just can't let go. You wonder, will I ever be forgiven? You know, I've mentioned this before, but there is a book within Scripture that uh, if these are the doubts that you have, you need to read, right? And this is 1 John, the, uh, the, the letter that John writes the, that we know as 1 John. Because every single chapter, all five chapters, deals with the Christian's confidence of their salvation. If that's something you struggle with, read this letter. It's not that long. But he begins in 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 4. He says, 
These things I am writing to you, I do so that your joy may be made complete. Right? It's not God's desire for his children to walk around in constant fear and anxiety about if we're going to heaven or not. You know, the Christian life should be, I know I am going to heaven. I have that confidence. Look with me in verses 5 through 10 in 1 John chapter 1. And again, notice what the apostle says here. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Focus there on verse 7. Again, he says that if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. If we continue to walk, he says, keep on walking in the light that the blood of Jesus will keep on cleansing us from our sins. It's a constant process. It's not an in and an out process, but it's a constant process of cleaning, uh, washing away our sins. Will I or can I commit a sin while walking in the light? Well, that's what John tells us here. He tells us a couple of times. Yes, uh, I'm not going to be sinless in, in this life. Again, he, he knows that maybe some people are going to think that way. So in verse 8, he tells them, We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we don't believe uh, we sin. So continue walking in the light. You know, that doesn't mean that uh, we have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that we're living a perfect life. But we're walking in the light because Jesus forgives us of our sins. We are doing our best to walk into light, in the light, to follow the footsteps of Jesus, obeying his words. Again, it's not going to be perfection, but it's our mindset. It's our intentions. And the outcome of that, John tells us, is a continual cleansing of our sins. We should have confidence that God is going to fulfill his promises to pardon the penitent. You know, are you sorry for your sins when you commit them? You know, do you have that godly sorrow? Do you confess your sins in prayer to God? Do you confess them to others? In that case, don't worry. You're doing good. Right? You're doing right. You're doing what God wants you to do. Again, God promises of pardon to the penitent. Sometimes we tend to forget that. Let's not forget that. The second thing we want to notice is that God's promise of providence to the poor. You know, that's a promise that sometimes we tend to forget. You know, God, uh, in the Old Testament and in the, in the first century, we know he worked miraculously. But today, uh, he works providentially. You know, and it's hard to explain, explain providence. And this isn't a lesson on providence. But, you know, it's easier when you read the New Testament to spot a miracle, right? Someone once said, you know, God puts his signature on miracles, whereas in providence, you know, it, it's... It's anonymous, right? Sometimes the Bible writers will say, well, perhaps it happened because of this. But can God in his providential care supply the poor or needy? Well, yes, he has made that promise time and time again, and that should give us comfort. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, and Brother uh, Wes spoke on this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, where God is talking about uh, that he is going to provide for those, you know, uh, the, the clothing and the food. You know, you don't need to worry about those things because God is going to provide for those who continue to seek the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 28 is a great verse that reminds us about the providence of God. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 28, Paul writes this. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, maybe it's not how I want it or maybe it's not when I want it, but God is working for good in our lives to those who love him. Providentially, he's working. Psalm 139, I know we've talked about this uh, a couple times in the past, but this is a great psalm of David where he's talking about these great attributes of God, how God is all-knowing and all-powerful and he's ever-present. You know, we really can't go anywhere in this life without God uh, knowing about it. You know, that, that, that those scriptures, starting in verse 1, talks about how he knows when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows what I'm going to speak of on my tongue before I even say it. He knows everything we do, anywhere we go. And that's maybe sometimes scares individuals. And maybe it should scare some individuals who aren't living a righteous life. But that psalm is not meant to be a threat. It's not meant to scare us, but to give us hope. You know, back in, back in Michigan, in our home, uh, the house we owned, we had a tree in the front yard. And, and as uh, most little children, children like to do, is they like to climb those trees. And so uh, Allison being, you know, a little bit younger, uh, you know, she was at the age where she could grab that first branch and pull herself up and make it up a couple of layers into the tree. But then there was Parker who couldn't quite, you know, reach that first branch. And so he'd be standing under it, jumping up, trying to grab it with his arms to pull himself up. Uh, he couldn't quite do it. And as a parent, you know, you get kind of, uh, you feel for him, right? You, you, you pity him. And so you go over and you pick him up and you let him grab that first branch and you might give him a little boost to get up there into that tree so that he can be up there with his sister. You know, that's sort of the, uh, the sentiments of Psalm 139, that, that we, you know, we cannot escape God and that he is providentially watching over us. You know, he might give us that boost from time to time. Psalm 103, verse 13, David again says, God pities us as a father pities his children. You know, he is concerned for us. And he works today providentially to see to it uh, that he can help us in that way. And so his presence should give us peace. Again, not sleeping with one eye open. In 2 Kings chapter 6, here's an account of Elisha. I know we, we talked about Elisha on Wednesday evening. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, we have another account in the life of Elisha, the prophet. Again, Elijah comes first, and then there's Elisha here in 2 Kings chapter 6. And here, the king of Aram, he is warring against the children of Israel. He's going out to war against them. But every plot that he has, every time he goes to fight them, uh, he is not able to be successful. And he's frustrated. He wants to know why. He thinks there must be a spy in the midst of them. One of his men must be telling Israel you know, not to be here or not to be there because he is not, every single time he is trying to you know, go through with one of his plans of action, it is not working out to his, his way. And so what he does is he asks the people, he says, what is going on? Who's telling 
uh, my enemy uh, what, is, uh, what I'm about to do. And they say, no, no, it's not us, but it's the prophet Elisha uh, who lives within Israel. He is the one. And so he sends his army. He says, go and find Elisha. Go and encamp uh, uh, around him. Notice in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 15, they come by night. They surround the city. Verse 15 says, now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? See, Elisha's uh, his servant, his assistant, uh, noticed that this, this uh, kingdom the, the, of Aram was encircling them. And he was frightened. Right? Something bad about to go down. But notice uh, Elisha's answer in verse 16. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, Elisha knew that God was going to provide for them at that moment. Uh, but the attendant didn't because right? he couldn't see. He couldn't see those, those chariots and the horses of fire that God had provided for them. But the attendant's eyes were opened to God's care. And we, too, need to open our eyes as well to the providence that God provides for us. Have we forgotten the promise of providence to the poor? You know, you might be asking this morning, who are the poor? Who are you referring to as the poor? Well, that's you and me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? To be a child of God, we need to be poor in spirit. And we know that we'll live long enough on, on, on this life to know that you know, life hurts. It's uncomfortable. It's heartbreaking at some times. But that should not be the end of the story. And again, we have that promise from God. And so let us, again, not forget that God's promise of providence to the poor. The final point I want to make this morning is that God's promise of paradise to the patient. You know, I'm giving you some tongue twisters here, starting with the letter P. But remember, Paul said, do not lose heart in doing good. We will reap and do not grow weary. You know, some think Christianity is a quick fix to their problems. You know, you, you, you turn on the television or radio and maybe you will hear a, a prosperity preacher who will talk about this health and wealth gospel. And when people listen to that, they sort of get confused, right? Because uh, the, those preachers are saying, you know, just uh, pray this prayer. Just uh, send in some money here and I'll pray for you and things are going to be good. And what they're really doing is they're selling this idea that you can have heaven on earth. They expect prosperity and great health. And because of that, you know, people will succumb to that and those things won't happen. And they'll quickly and easily give up because those promises were never met. And they'll look differently towards Christianity. But again, God never made those promises. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to his disciples that to be a disciple of Christ, that we need to deny ourselves, right? And that we need to take up our cross and to follow him. You know, it's not about us, but it's about denying ourselves. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we just looked at in verse 12. He said that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? That's not a, a, a sort of a quick fix type of gospel that, that we read about in scriptures. 
Go to Hebrews chapter 11. This will be the last place I asked you to turn to this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11, of course, this is the, the, the chapter of all of the men and women who had great faith in the Old Testament. And in chapter 11, starting in verse 8, we're focusing on Abraham. Abraham is a great example of one who had great patience. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8, it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was a child, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God." See, Abraham, uh, he, he, he was promised this great inheritance. And to do that, he, he left his homeland. Uh, he went and dwelled in tents. He went and dwelled as an alien in a, in a different land. And he was looking for that, that home uh, made by God. He wanted to go to heaven. Abraham said, I could put up with a little bit here on earth. Uh, so that one day I could have eternal life with you. I can live as an alien in this foreign land. I can live dwelling in tents, moving around day to day uh, for now, so that one day uh, I can have paradise uh, with you, Lord. God promised paradise to a patient Abraham, and he does to us as well. You know, again, God never promised heaven on earth, but he promised heaven after earth. And we need to remember that promise. We need to be patient. This life, again, is temporal. This is not our final destination. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. There was a story of a farmer, and this farmer had lived on his farm pretty much his whole life. He really never left the county that he grew up in. And uh, one day he was listening to the radio and they were giving away a, a prize trip, an all expense paid trip to New York City. And he thought, you know, I've lived here long enough. Maybe it's time that I go and see some things. And so he happened to call and he was the fifth caller and he won the prize. And so they, uh, a few weeks later, they brought out this limousine and picked him up. You know, he had never been in a limo before, never seen one. And this was pretty amazing to him. Takes him to the airport. He gets into a private jet. Uh, again, never been on an airplane, never been to an airport before. This is just all too much for him. Uh, it flies him out to New York City. Uh, a town car is waiting for him to take him to his hotel. And he is just uh, utterly amazed during this whole time. And as he's checking in at the hotel, the bellhop greets him and takes his bags and they go into this room. And as you know, the farmer and the bellhop were standing in this room, uh, the, the, the expression on the farmer's face kind of melted a little bit. He wasn't as happy as he was. He, looked, uh, he actually looked pretty sad. And so the bellhop asked him, well, what's wrong? You know, what's, what's the matter? And the farmer said, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm happy, but I'm, you know, I'm just a, a little disappointed. That's all. But it would be wrong of me to complain. You know, I've seen so much this past couple of days. That I've seen in my whole life. Well, the bellhop said, sir, listen, my job is to keep you happy. So let me know. What can I do for you? What's the wrong? Well, the farmer said, well, I thought, you know, my room was going to be a little bit bigger than this. And certainly I didn't think I'd be sharing it with this other couple. Well, the bellhop was scratching his head and wondering, what, what are you talking about? And then he realized, sir. This is just the elevator that takes you to your room. You still got to go another 60 floors higher. Well, well, what was that farmer's problem that day? The problem was is that he confused 
his journey with his destination. Again, he confused his journey with his destination. And that's what we do also sometimes. God, why is my life not perfect? But again, God never promised us perfection here. Heaven comes afterwards, after this life. We are on our journey right now. We are not at our destination. You know, we're on the elevator of life. And isn't that promise of heaven worth it? You know, eternity in heaven, a place of no tears, no sorrow, uh, no pain, no death. Again, isn't it worth it? Why would we give up eternity for the best that this world has to offer? You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, you know, that some are going to uh, give up their soul in exchange for what the world has to offer. Again, that promise of paradise to the faithful is ours if we just obey and we be patient because he has promised us those things. This morning, as we conclude this lesson, again, remember those women uh, came early that Sunday morning to the tomb uh, to anoint the body of Jesus. They were met by those angels who asked them that question that, you know, must have hit them pretty good uh, when they heard it. Uh, must have pricked their hearts, pierced their hearts. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Have you forgotten the promises of God? And really what we're implying here is that they're saying, why are you here? Right? Why are you here? Where is your faith? Jesus told you that he was going to rise three days later. They are, they are not the only ones who forget the promises of God. Again, we do too. He has promised to forgive us as we continue to walk faithfully in the light. He has promised to providentially care for us, care for those who love him. And he has promised us something so good that we just need to tenaciously cling to it in this life. Be patient, long-suffering, and just get through this life. You know, that elevator ride and paradise will be ours. So uh, this morning, as we conclude this lesson, let's, again, let's put our faith in the promises of God. Let's trust them more. He has never let down anyone in the past. He is not about to let us down going forward. Do we, too, seek the living among the dead because because we don't want to have a, a hindsight 2020 moment when it becomes eternally too late this morning as we offer the invitation if there's anyone here this morning who is not put on christ in baptism why not this morning why not put christ on in baptism become a child of god and to believe the word to to um, repent of our sins confess him as lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins if you're here this morning and you need the prayers of this congregation you need to ask for strength or encouragement or you have any need to make known, please come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.